0: This is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm.
1: Unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. All the way back around. We started this season with the Herschel Gordon Lewis classic 2000 Maniacs from the 60s. One of the original gore films uh, from the, the godfather of gore himself. And now, here in this ninth episode of season 15 of the Seeking Human Victims podcast, Kill Billies, we are looking at the remake of that film from 2003-2001, Maniacs! And I am your host, the maniacal minister, the occult, the devil, you know, the original motherfucker, the Rev. Dan Wilson. And I am here with my gang of killbillies, Dreamboat Annie.
2: Son, one time I had confidence in a fart. Shit all over myself.
1: Uh what's really funny is uh, we had had a similar conversation earlier in the day about that and that's all I'm gonna say but <laughs> that that joke came up in this film later. Uh, <laughs> and also here on the show, once again, the one, the only, the great
0: muji
1: I love the smell of cow shit
0: in the morning. Looks like Annie had a better shit quote than me. Damn it! It's
1: going to say a lot of fecal references here in this opening diatribe. Makes me uh, wonder if that's uh, foreshadowing on opinions of the movie or not. You'll find <laughs> out later in the show on final thoughts. As far as any prior familiarity to this film, I've seen this one a few times. This was one I ranted on. Uh, DVD when it came out I saw Robert England on the cover and said okay this looks fucking cool uh, and was uh, you know I, I remember really enjoying it the first time around it's been many years uh, and I even said in this this is not any spoilers because I said in the other episode for the original film that I did actually like this one more than the original so we'll see if that held up here several years later what about you guys
0: same i remember us like watching this all together at your place like back in the day um i remember it was a, uh, it was one of those where i don't know if you saw it before i did but for me it was one of those like instant walmart purchases where it was just like walking through you know and i'm like oh there's robert england on the cover i guess i'll pick up this dvd and check
2: it out oh. I don't think I've ever seen it before. Like, knew of its existence, but I don't have any recollection of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is, the early 2000s was such a great era for direct-to-video horror. Um, I, I think it was the golden era of direct-to-video horror. You get a lot of it now, but so much of it is so bad. You have to wade through a lot of really bad... To find good, if it's not something that's gotten some buzz in Fangoria or talked about in a big horror podcast or online, um, the the days of just kind of stumbling across these hidden gems are uh, are kind of gone. But man, the early two thousands, the the DVD rental and purchase market was so much creative horror on low budgets coming out and this this was one of those so uh we will dig on into that and of course before we do we have yet another musical guest from our good pals at horror pain gore death productions and our pals vhs are coming back this week. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel again. Uh, but it's it's jollo inspired metal. And it's pretty cool. And you should check it out. They have a new album coming out. Called Deep Gashes and Long Lashes. And this will be the first single off of that album. So you don't want to miss that. That is coming up here
0: with the hit single Argento's Balls.
1: <laughs> it is not, in fact, Argento's Balls, Muji. The hit single is called Solange by VHS, kicking off this week's episode of Seeking Human Victim. okay so still laughing about Argento's balls Uh, (laughs) 2001 Maniacs the director for this film was a cat named Tim Sullivan and he was a monster kid raised on Forrest Ackerman's famous monsters of film land he began his career as a teenager when he landed a job as a PA on the 1983 cult film Return of the Aliens, The Deadly Spawn. He majored in film studies at NYU, which of course produced a number of great horror films from their students and former students, including Sleepaway Camp. Uh, his first writer, director, producer credit was his Christmas-themed horror short called A Christmas Treat in 1985. Uh joining One Good Scare Productions in the lineage of great Christmas horror shorts. That, actually, though, won the Fangoria Magazine Short Film Search Award. And while attending NYU, Sullivan wrote the music news for MTV. That fucking sick p cells bass line and Kurt Loader dropping in to give you some hot goss and good times. If you remember that shit, you're fucking old.
2: It's time for an eye cream, if you remember it.
1: After graduating, he works as a production assistant On Three Men and a Baby, Cocktail, Coming to America And The Godfather Part 3 So, you know, he's climbing the ranks Old Timmy Sullivan And uh, he he wears many hats throughout his career He's an actor at times uh, Just like Hitchcock and Tarantino He's cast himself in his own films a number of times he was a production manager for the independent film If Looks Could Kill from 1986 and America Exposed from 1990. After working in development at New Line for five years, he produced Detroit Rock City, starring Kiss, Edward Furlong, Sam Huntington, and Natasha Leone. A great flick. Uh, His mainstream directorial debut is this film from, and I'm sorry, I said 2003 earlier. I stand motherfucking corrected. It's 2005's 2001 Maniacs. Uh, After this film, he followed it up with Snoop Dogg's Hood of Horror, also from 2005, and the movie Driftwood from 2006, which was a supernatural thriller about troubled youths at a reform camp and it starred Ravi Volman and DDP Diamond Dallas Page. Once he released the sequel to this film, which he also directed, he gained notoriety as a director of VH1's hit television series Scream Queens from 2010, as well as creator and host of Shock and Roll, his weekly talk and video blog on leading web network Fearnet. You guys remember Fearnet was the precursor to Shudder, a little ahead of its time, didn't quite last, left a lot of good shit on the cutting room floor. The demise of Fearnet is the reason, correct me if I'm wrong, Mooji, but uh, is the reason Holliston we do not have a season three of.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, Fearnet going down and like the weird, I think, rights entanglement that ensued is why we didn't get more Holliston which you know has been threatened to come back on numerous occasions, but you know who knows at this point if that's ever possible. But yes, fear, fearnet is what cost us that, unfortunately. And you're correct, fearnet was kind of the um, the prototype for shutter, I think. It was like the the first attempt, you know, to do something like that that you know produced some okay stuff, but you know didn't quite make it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, shutter flourishes now, so. You would have to think that, uh, you know, it was just just a little too far ahead of its time. You I know, mean, it just wasn't the market for it then, or maybe the distribution. Maybe they weren't reaching the right people. I don't know. He was later involved in Chillerama, which he uh, rejoined forces with Adam Rifkin, who was the director of Detroit Rock City for that and he was a contributor to the musical segment i was a teenage bear. he also was involved with the adam rifkin written and directed burt reynolds vehicle the last movie star where he's an associate producer that movie is so fucking good that movie brought me to fucking tears if you work in entertainment in particular it will stab you right through the fucking heart Uh, But you should absolutely watch it because it's fucking outstanding. It's like Burt Reynolds' last great performance. Really is, I think, maybe his last performance, period. But uh, fucking watch that movie. He took a break from the film industry in 2013 after one of his mentors, Ray Manzarek, who uh, he was actually adapting a film version of his novel at the time. He he passed away, and that really messed him up. So he he left the business to focus on his health and friends and family. Sometimes you got to do that. Uh, it was during this time he did form his own production company which was called new rebellion entertainment ddp actually comes back as a partner in this i had no idea <laughs> but you know pace has his hand in a lot of cookie jars so it's not surprising uh, mike Markov, cooper tomlinson and nick lavey were all involved in that and they are creating a variety of projects uh which is currently ongoing. That's what they're doing right now. Among them is George Romero's original version of mask of the red death. That was never made. Uh, So they're going to try to do that in partnership with dark horse and written by Steve Niles. That should be fucking dope. Uh, Hopefully that comes to fruition. And as well as the branded franchise night songs, which explores the paranormal romance between a musical journalist and a vampiric young rock star, Uh, co-written by Sullivan, Doug Rockwell, Andreas Carlson, and KISS drummer Eric Singer. So, uh, this guy's still working on a lot of cool stuff, so, you know, kudos to Tim Sullivan for still being out there.
2: Yeah, he's got, like, a lot of cool friends, seems like. Like, going down the list, like, all the people that he's, like, worked with and then continues to work with. Like, what a circle of friends he has. Yeah,
1: sounds sounds like he's
0: got a, a cool thing going on. Anyone who's cool with DDP is cool with this pod. It's just a
1: rule. Absolutely. The film was produced by Eli Roth, of all people, in addition to Scott Spiegel and others. Uh, the music was provided by Nathan Barr, who's a famous composer of such hit shows as True Blood, The Americans, Carnival Row, and The Great. He won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Main Title Theme Music in uh, his work on the miniseries Hollywood. Uh, cinematography was handled by Steve Adcock. I think all that stuff was, you know, totally adequate, A uh, very standard for the time. I think, uh, the, the score, you know, I if he wrote like even the, the guitar music and stuff like that's cool, that's a different layer than some shit normally has. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it was fine. Like anything he took away from anything wasn't like super memorable, but, and, and the the shots and everything were good. And let's talk about the cast. So, of course, you know, we've talked about this multiple times. Robert England is the anchor to this thing. He's the, the thing that sold it to the masses and why this direct-to-video thing got so much traction. Um, and, of course, he's fucking amazing. I mean, you know, we're not going to go into his whole history because you can go back to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Scare. And subscribe to the $1 per month, one lousy, stinking, measly, no good dollar gets you all 15 seasons of Seeking Human Victims. The episodes are free always, the new episodes, but those only stay on the feed for a little while. So you have to subscribe to unlock all of that vault of goodness. And in that vault is one of our early, very popular seasons, one of the seasons that put us on the map, the West Craven Terror Timeline. And within that season, of course, is an episode on Nightmare on Elm Street. What else? And we give you a very in-depth look at Robert Englund's career and backstory. But, uh, you know, I think without him, this movie doesn't quite hit the levels it's achieving for and he, him being in the lead also makes up for a lot of gaps elsewhere, in my opinion. Oh yeah.
0: hundred percent. Just like the charisma of um, Robert England, like, 100% is like the reason to watch this movie. Like, if you're a, a Robert England horror completionist, it puts this one on the list where you've got to watch it. And, like I said, I mean, that, you know, back in the day when, like, you know, video on, like, when, you know, straight to DVD movies actually could make like a lot of money, it was like the thing that immediately sold it for me. You know, it was like sort of a backwards thing where I saw Robert England on the cover. You know, it's when DVDs were like 10 bucks. I'm like, okay, I'll try this out. It's got Robert England in it. Watched this movie and then I actually went back and bought the expensive 2000 Maniacs, uh, you know DVD afterwards. So you know Robert England was 100 you know the whole reason that I
1: you know checked any of it out. So hell yeah, I think uh, most horror fans would say that about this movie. And in addition to the great Robert England, with Lynn Shay as Granny Boone, Robert England plays the the leader of the the clan, Mayor George Buckman. And we have Lynn Shay as Granny Boone, who's kind of the matriarch. So they're kind of the two in charge of this operation. Uh, And you can also go back to the Nightmare on Elm Street episode, as well as New Nightmare and others, to learn about Lynn Shay's career. But, you know, of course, a famous horror face and always puts forth an entertaining performance. The sister of Bob Shay of New Line Cinema. Uh, She is the the nefarious granny boone here and i like the angle they kind of take on this in the original it's just like they come upon a tribe of hillbillies and in this one it's like they come upon a city of civil war reenactors and i think that's clearly sold as what the tourists think these people are at first and then it kind of gets sillier and more crazy as you go along, but that little anchoring really is awesome and I think Robert England and Lin Shay's performances both kind of like solidify that.
0: Yeah, me too, man. I think Lin Shay, I like her in this movie. She's fun. I actually I feel good, you know, for her like she's one of those people that when she first started showing up and things you know it was like oh yeah it's bob shea's sister you know she's there but then you know she became like really good in her own right like she's you know in quite a few movies where she does a lot of the heavy lifting like you know later on in her career um especially in like the last like you know 10 to like you know 15 years where she showed up um you know she got good so yeah good to see her in this
1: and then we had uh, giuseppe andrews as the southern dandy harper Alexander. Uh, he's a former actor, screenwriter, director, and singer-songwriter. Is kind of an auteur, everything type of renaissance guy. He played Lex in Detroit Rock City. He was the bizarre sheriff in Cabin Fever, which is one of the more memorable roles in that movie. Uh, he was also in Never Been Kissed in 1999. And he was in the Smashing Pumpkins music videos for the songs 1979 and Perfect, He's also involved in writing, directing, scoring, editing, shooting, and producing a number of avant-garde films. Adam Rifkin has said, you know, that he was just one of the most creative people that he had ever worked with as far as a filmmaker. Uh, And he directed several experimental and weird independent movies. Uh, But, strangely enough, as of 2015, his whereabouts are completely unknown. He has ceased acting and songwriting. Uh, and just disappeared. So hopefully the dude is all right and he's still out there and nothing bad has happened to him. But um, kind of strange to see in this era, somebody just totally fall off the map. And if he did it intentionally, then more power to him. <laughs> but uh, this guy was an interesting character. He definitely like, I loved the colorful cast of character of the hillbillies that you get here. And uh, he's definitely one of them. He's, he's there. You can tell like, okay, there's something fucking off about this guy right out of the gate, but he's entertaining and, and he's got this weird charisma and this weird high pitched voice.
0: Yeah. I mean, he plays like a good, he plays a good weirdo hillbilly. I mean, as you know, being from Saudi Daisy, Tennessee, I feel like I'm an expert on weirdo hillbillies and this guy fits it. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and then we had uh, Jay Gillespie as Anderson Lee And he was in a few different things He was in Hellraiser Revelations in 2011 the Horror fans would remember that He's been in uh, a lot of other stuff Not a, a ton of like widespread stuff He was in the Poet in Exile sprawl Android Cop Crazy Town Life Tracker, Jack the Reaper, and, of course, who could forget the 2010 Moby Dick and Megapython versus Gatoroid. You gotta watch out for Gatoroid.
2: to say, Megapython versus Gatoroid sounds absolutely terrible, terrible, terrible and wonderful at the same time. I bet that yeah, just that's crazy.
0: That's a 100% get you a six-pack of beer and fucking strap in for the ride type movie. <laughs>
1: And, you know, he was one of our nondescript, like the cast. So the cast here, it's early 2000s. Let me set the stage for you. All of these horror movies cast these very beautiful people that were all very (laughs) nondescript. So you. Yes, but this is this is
2: our final guy.
1: Yes. And uh, he did, you know, he did fine. I thought for all intents and purposes, he was as good to be the final guy as any of them.
2: Right, because like you said, they were all interchangeable. They all had spiky, bleach-tipped hair um, and generic, mildly handsome faces. But he did have one of my other favorite lines in the movie, which is, you'll be whistling Dixie through your eye socket if you, are, if you don't let us go.
1: Yeah, he does have the great duel with Robert England there at the end. And then, of course, the final scene of, like, okay, well... <laughs> You took my eye. You, you, you threatened to take my other eye, rather, and I didn't want that to happen, so I agreed to let you go with the Southern gentleman's agreement. And but, but, <laughs> but, you have to jump a wall of flames in a ramp on a motor on a ramp on a motorcycle.
2: Uh, that's like probably my favorite scene in the entire movie, though, because um, he's like, "All right." done so he just like they get on this motorcycle and just like up the ramp and through the fire like they couldn't just drive through it on the ground and so he lands and it just like all you see is the the final girl's tramp stamp fading into the blackness as they drive away
1: fucking art
2: <laughs> jump through the fire i was cackling that shit was so fucking funny. Talk about
1: a tonal shift. We had uh, Matthew Carey as Corey Jones. He was kind of like the second most important generic white dude.
0: Generic white guys also a staple of um, early 2000s
1: horror. <laughs> oh, so many. So many of them. He was in The Masked Singer as a body double recently. Uh, he was in the show now. Apocalypse, Hollows Grove, Grey's Anatomy, Castle, Mr. Stash, Sound of My Voice, Quid Pro Quo, Apparent Use, Apparent Horizon, Dirty Deeds, Self-Medicated, Veronica Mars, CSI, Old School, Party Monster, The Banger Sisters, LAX, Twenty Four, Judging Amy, Early Edition leave it to beaver from 1997 party of five er law and order and someone like me a wide array of extra roles and bit parts but he was around for a long time doing a lot Um, And he died in a gruesome and horrible way. Does anyone remember how?
2: I don't, but I just saw in his credits that he was surfer number two and billboard dad. So any girls approximately, like within five years of my age, are like, dang, I probably thought he was banging back in the day.
1: (laughs) I think he was the one that uh, drank the moonshine.
2: Oh, yeah. Suck it, mister. Oh, su- I'm sorry. It's suck it, Mr. Man.
1: I mean, to be fair, it wouldn't be hard to be lured to your death from moonshine poison with a giant parahooters. They were definitely, like, right on the money with uh, <laughs> with being able to take advantage of that poor schmuck.
0: I mean, it's a good last sight, got to say.
1: To be fair
2: Is he the one that like when they first arrived, like there was like all the redneck the the hillbillies come around and are like, Woo, welcome! And like they show like these busty blonde and brunette girls, all just like, you know, a two thousands man in his twenties fantasy, and then they're all and they're still like kinda hesitant until there's like the one like messed up teeth has her head shaved girl is like hey we'll party with you and then he's like yes i will stay because this the this one said she would have sex with me
1: i mean some guys have no standards maybe that was the moral of the movie
2: yeah i think i think he was that guy he was the one that like like no offense to that actress because i i think but i think that was the point is like that the, the unattractive one is like i'll sleep with you and he's like deal done we're we're staying." <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) We had uh, Peter Stormare as Professor Ackerman. You only see him there at the beginning when they're giving the lecture about the the southern folk. Uh, He was a Swedish actor. He was in Fargo, Prison Break, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Playing God, The Big Lebowski, Armageddon, 8mm, Dancer in the Dark, Talkers. Minority Report, Bad Boys 2, Constantine, 22 Jump Street, and the video games Destiny Until Dawn and Destiny 2. A very brief role, but, you know, one of the many foreshadowing roles in the movie. And we had Marla Malcolm as Joey, Gina Marie Heekin as Cat, who she was in Dragnet. I think Cat may have been the i bad with the names on this one because there were no faces in the credits. So,
2: Cat's the brunette. Joey's the blonde. Oh, okay, okay. And she played, I think that I think it was Nina in Dragnet. I believe was like it was like a, a bigger role than a bit part. Like some of these other people have been relegated to.
1: And then we had Brian Gross as Ricky, and he's been in a lot as well. A lot of TV, a lot of movies, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Baywatch, Promised Land, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Jack Frost 2, Walker Texas Ranger, Big Mama's House 2, Cold Case, NCIS Psych, NCIS Los Angeles, those were all three separate shows, I wasn't lying and then saying it was the other, (laughs) Star Wars, The Old Republic, Two Broke Girls, Anger Management, Killer Island... Dream killer, don't suck, and more. And he also fucking died. But I don't remember how he died, and I don't think he was the moonshine guy. <laughs> and we had Michonne Lee as Malcolm, who was in the NBC soap opera Sunset Beach, season seven of the Cosby Show, and more. And of course, you know, had to have some racism if the the villains were Confederate ghosts. It only made sense, you know. Of course, they were revealed to be exactly who they thought they were, and they killed poor Malcolm and served his head at dinner.
2: But, hey, his motorcycle came in handy for that escape jump later.
1: (laughs) Yes. His motorcycle came in handy so the white people could escape. (laughs) Damn it. I don't think they were trying to say anything there. (laughs) Uh, We had uh, Dylan Edrington as Nelson Elliott. Bianca Smith as Leah. Brendan McCarthy as Rufus. He was in uh, True Blood, Justified, Shooter, and others. We had Adam Robitel as Lester. These are down to the variety of hillbillies now. Uh, He was uh, the director of Escape Room, Insidious, The Last Key, and did the alternating end, alternate endings for the taking of Deborah Logan. And he was an actor in 2001 Maniacs, Field of Screams. I was a teenage Werebear, bear uh, cut print, and he had a bit part in the original X Men film. Do you remember which one was Lester?
2: One of the hillbillies. One of the yeah, boys. I know. Yeah,
0: he was hillbilly number six. I
2: don't remember I don't... specifically which one he was. There was 2,001 of them. How am I supposed to keep them all straight? This
1: is true. But I don't see the kid fucking credited, and he was one of the more important characters. Hucklebilly? Yeah.
2: You ain't got to it yet. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got real redneck with that one for Hucklebilly.
1: (laughs) Those Tennessee roots coming out. We had uh, Krista Campbell as the Milkmaiden. She was best known for this film. The Wicker Man with Nicolas Cage, Cleaner, Day of the Dead, Lies and Illusions, The Mechanic, Drive Angry with Nicolas Cage also, uh, Straight A's, The Big Wedding, and The Iceman. We already talked about her a moment ago, and uh, we're very complimentary of her. (laughs) And then we had Cody Kitchen as Hester, so we had Lester and Hester. Uh, He had some bit parts in CSI New York and 17 again. We had Ryan Fleming as Hucklebilly. There he is. Hucklebilly Boone. Another little hillbilly with a strange high pitched voice, but he, he was supposed to be a child. So his made a little more sense. <laughs> he was in this he, was, he returns in the sequel field of screams and is also in drawn into the night in 2022, highly entertaining character. One of the more entertaining of the hillbillies as well. Um, him fucking around when they're in there taking baths and shit. Uh, just being a little shit in general. He's basically the equivalent of the little kid whose name I don't remember in the uh, original film. It wasn't Hucklebilly. But they, I mean, they even do the, the scene with the keys. It's not exactly the same, but, you know, they, it's a definitely a callback to it where the kid has the keys. He won't give it to him and he ends up, you know, leaving with them. Uh, that's not what happens in this movie, but, uh, but they definitely like do a callback to it.
2: You really think I'm that stupid? Yeah. That's
1: I found what he him says pretty... in that line. Yeah. I, I, I found him pretty amusing.
2: He doesn't get tricks like that little dumbass kid in the original.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> of course we have Eli Roth as a cameo as Justin. He's the guy whose armadillo is hit by the car. Allegedly. Uh, He's really reprising the role that he played in Cabin Fever originally, which is pretty funny. And then we had Bill McKinney as Chef, Kane Hodder as Jason, a large hillbilly named Jason. That's pretty funny. Uh, We had Madman Pondo, pro wrestler, as the blacksmith not really uh i mean he has a speaking role like when they're all chanting but i actually was trying to get pondo on the show to do this and the timing just didn't work out i was supposed to be on the show with him recently and got canceled and blah 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 but uh I, you know and he's, he's busy dude but he does his own horror podcast i'm sure he's told plenty of stories about this movie on it so go check it out uh, we'll try to have him back on if we do the sequel or I might just, just try to, like, interview him to talk, you know, in depth about his experience and maybe put that up exclusively for you patrons. Would you like that? Hit me up on Twitter at Rev Dan Wilson. Let me know. Uh, but a cool array of cameos there, nonetheless, in this one. Shooting dates and locations. Filming took place in November of 2003 in Westville, Georgia. And ended on December 1st of 2003. So they're kind of filming in the general location where it's supposed to be set, which is interesting. It's Definitely very makes...
2: odd because they're not the first ones to do so.
1: Nope, not, not necessarily very odd, but somewhat interesting because at least, you know, the backgrounds and all are going to be authentic. And with that and interesting fact, let's open the door to the auditorium. Strange truths and morbid curiosities will be revealed inside the auditorium. We were talking there during the break, and he brought up a good point. You know, the original film was supposed to take place in Georgia, but it was filmed in Florida and looked every fucking bit of it. So it's just another advantage of them shooting in Georgia if it's going to take place there. You know, it actually looks like the area they're trying to recreate.
2: Yeah, it's- within within like five seconds of the movie starting, you can tell. Like if you're familiar with the area, that that is Georgia, and they, where they're describing how you know close they are to getting to Florida, you can look around and say, "Yep, that's where they are." Uh, in the original, it was like, "That's nope, that's not it." It was very obvious.
1: Yep. Uh, Many of the additional maniacs that you see throughout were also crew members. So, you know, you had to fill out 2001 of them sons of bitches. You gotta fucking start asking people to pull double duty occasionally. The acting debuts here of Cody Kitchens and Kristen Michelle. It's a little foreshadowing in the film when uh, Malcolm is speaking with a little girl and watches her crushing the rat.
2: Um... And on the Kristen Michelle note, she did get skipped in the cast listing. She played Glendora, and she went on to be in House of the Dead 2, Night of the Living Dead 3D as Judy, Undead or Alive as Zombity, Hotel California, and then she was also in a few episodes of Californication, also was on CSI, and in a couple episodes of Femme Fatale.
1: Oh, well, there we go. Um, yeah, so, not, man, I had so few... In the way of odd and interesting facts this week So sorry about that But uh, it's the way she goes sometimes And we'll let it ride Like I said, maybe I'll try to track down Pondo for an interview And we'll, uh, we'll fill in some of those gaps I'm sure he's got some crazy stories for his time on the set All right. well, with all of that said Let's see how this film did Let's look at the numbers
0: numbers of the beast this movie was released um july the 9th of 2005 that was um at fantasia fest and then released um october 21st 2005 worldwide the uh, movie had a budget of 1.5 million we don't have real box office numbers on it um you know, like I said, we know that, you know, it had I'm sure some sort of a limited theatrical run, but it was more of like a straight to video type situation. But, you know, this was another time where they sold a lot of DVDs. So, you know, hopefully it was profitable. Had to have
1: been. It it wouldn't have been if it, you know, it wouldn't have gotten a, a sequel and all of that, um, if you know, if it hadn't have made money. I think this was like peak time for a DVD to come out and make a shitload of money just on dvd so i think this is probably one of the more successful releases of that time but you know the thing about those dvd releases is they don't give you the actual numbers on them so it's a guessing game Uh, reactions to this from what I've seen generally really positive in the horror community and outside of the horror community, uh, because it was a direct to video film, nobody really gave it much attention or paid it much mind. I imagine there's probably a lot of hate for it amongst those that don't understand the cheeky nuance of what they're doing here, or might think that it's some way promoting the Confederacy um, I, I don't see, if you, you know, if you think that putting Nazis as villains in movies is somehow promoting them, then maybe you would think that as well. I mean, there's a lot of this. It's an exploitation film. There's a lot of distasteful stuff in it. So I can imagine that, you know, if if there were any like mainstream reviews, they probably fucking ripped it to shreds. But, you know, fans that like trashy, exploitative B-movie horror uh, they they all seem to enjoy this.
0: Yeah, that's what I would think. I remember when it came out, like it being, you know, like fairly positive. I mean, this is a movie that you, you know, go into like not expecting a ton. You expect, you know, hopefully some good gore, you you know and uh, you know, you've got Robert England in it who you love. So, you know, the expectations are super low, you know, when you watch this movie to begin with. And, yeah, from what I've seen, you know, it's like it's it's, you know, fairly like a
1: liked movie. So, yeah, but of course, we mentioned it got a sequel. So it does have a little bit of legacy, the
2: the field of screams. Yeah. And uh, there does exist some behind the scenes documentary type situation that um, what was his name? Was it Adam Robitel? Yeah, Adam Robitel, the one that did the uh, a lot of directing after this, uh, he also I guess uh, was pulling double duty and was doing some backstage filming, and so you know that's also a thing. And there's a, like a like a looking back at type thing. So somebody cares about this movie, multiple somebody's. Uh, so you know they continued it on to some extent. No,
1: yeah, and I, you know, I've heard that, you know, it's, it's rumored that this could be brought back again, but I think with all the imagery and stuff, it's, it's probably going to be a harder sale in 2022 and 2023 than it was even in 2005. Uh, but yeah, the, the sequel was uh 2001 maniacs field of screams It starred Bill Mosley in the Robert England role. It was originally titled "Beverly Hellbillies," I think, or "Beverly Killbillies," something like that. But they changed it to "Field of Screams," and it's out there too. And you know, it's it's all right. It's not. I don't I don't think it's quite as good as this one, but it's uh, it's fun. So all right, well. If you would like to own this gem, you certainly can, and he will tell you how.
2: So it was released on DVD uh in 2007. So I guess it had to have had some of a theatrical run then. Um and then it was put out on Blu-ray in October of 2010 and those were both from Lionsgate. And it is currently streaming on Tubi with commercials.
1: All right. Well, Ain't nothing left to do but give our final motherfucking thoughts on 2001 Maniacs. If you couldn't tell from my commentary thus far, I really did enjoy this movie yet again and can safely say I'm a real big fan of it. It's a silly, exploitative, offensive, dumb B-horror movie in every way you would want it's the type of movie that they made a lot in the seventies and early eighties. And they kind of died off. Um, and they made a big comeback in the early two thousands with this type of movie with the direct to video market, the gore, I, I didn't catch you did the special effects, but the effects were off the charts. Good. Like, um, for, for, a, a, a direct to video horror at that time is everything you could want. Um, you know, so sometimes it wasn't fucking great. It, it, like, everything wasn't amazing, but most of it was, was really strong. Uh, the fucking characters are campy and silly. There's a lot of tropes. There's a lot of nudity. <laughs> oh, tons of beautiful women from top to bottom of the film. Um, it's just, it's it's a fucking hoot. And it's even got the, the 2000s fucking... Okay, our hero survived. Yay! The movie's over. Just kidding. We're gonna kill them in the closing scene. That happened in like every fucking movie just about that came out from like 2001 to 2006. So <laughs> it's just like, is it a good piece of cinema? Nah, probably not. It's it's probably a piece of shit in that regard. Is it a goddamn great time and a fun-ass fucking movie? And should you watch it? Absolutely.
2: I mean, I don't know what else there is to say after that. Um, like Dan said, is this a great movie? No. Um, there's a handful of good actors present and a larger percentage of, um, like, high school video project level quality acting Um But that's fine, uh, because just like when you had to watch all of your friends' presentations in high school when they had to do those, it's fucking hilarious. Um, It screams 2,000 so loud, it's the only thing you can hear. Um, From start to beginning, from the the spiky bleached tips to the tramp stamp fading into the night after a motorcycle jumped through fire, It cannot be more of a time capsule for what was considered like cool at the time. Um, This was such, I don't want to say money grab, but they clearly played this to get the most cash possible uh, by promising debauchery and violence. And they delivered in both categories. Um it's it's a really fun movie to watch and I I would argue more quite a bit more entertaining than the original. Um and if you haven't seen it, you you should. And if you have seen it, you should watch it again.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I thought it was really fun back in the day. I thought it was really fun now. Um, you know, with horror movies as long as, like, it's interesting, as long as there's, like, something to, like, look at, something to watch, like, I'm gonna be in, you know, and so this movie is not boring, you know, a lot of it is, you know, silly, a lot of it's campy, um, you know, a lot of it, you know, doesn't exactly, there's not a not a lot of, like, plot to you know, follow or anything like that, you know, you, it's pretty standard, it's just, like, we're gonna show you some gore, we're gonna show you some good-looking women, and, um, you know, we're gonna it's going to be funny, you know, but, you know, that's that's really it. Like you said, we're not winning Academy Awards or anything with this thing. But if you like good campy, you know, kind of sleazy horror movies, this one's a good time.
1: Indeed, it is. You should check it out. Um, don't really have anything else to add. I think we've covered the book and closed the door on 2001 Maniacs. But don't fret. Normally next week would be the season finale, but it's not going to be. And you got one man to thank for that. You should go shake his hand and say, Casey Oliver, One Good Scare Productions executive producer, patron. We thank you because because of his support, we're extending this episode by two additional episodes. So next week will not be the season finale of season 15, Kill Billies, but it will be one of the big ones um one of uh, the best movies of the 2000s uh the best movie of this director's catalog a very influential movie on me for a lot of obvious reasons And we're talking about none other than the fucking devil's rejects next week on Seeking Human Victims.
2: This
0: is not a test. This is not a test. Please remain calm.
1: Unburied dead are coming back to life and
2: seeking human victims. Seeking human victims. Seeking human victims.
1: product of One Good Scare Productions. It is written, edited, researched, and directed by Dan Wilson, with assistance by Fuji Grant and Annie Wilson. Original music is provided by Shredderford as well as KT Grant. All other music and audio clips are property of their respective